Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad that you're listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. I want to wish a happy Father's Day to all of our listeners. Fathers and father figures are such an important part of our lives. If you can let your father know that you love him, do so today. And if not, share his memory with the people you love. And for our men listening, and I want you to seek to be a mighty influence in the lives of our young people today, whether they are your, your own children or children who simply need a father figure in their lives. I also want to take a note this week and mention that next Sunday, there will not be a posted podcast. Betsy and I are taking a little family vacation. Now, we will have guest speakers at Valley View, Dave and Shauna Good, friends missionaries to Jamaica, uh, but we don't have a way of recording them live yet, so there will be no posted podcast. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's message. This week, we're going to focus on Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, the clearest of all the let us commands that we've been talking about over the last, oh, this is our third week talking about those let us commands. And these commands are about the need for the church. So, our text today calls every Christian, the church, to aid one another in growing in God. Now, there's an old joke, a story, about three pastors who got together for coffee one day and found that all their churches had bat infestation problems. I got so mad, said one, I got a shotgun and fired at them. It made holes in the ceilings, but it did nothing to the bats. Another one said, I tried trapping them alive, and then I drove 50 miles before releasing them, but they flew back to the church and seemed like they got back to the church before I did. The third pastor spoke, and, spoke up and said, I haven't had any more problems. I dealt with it. Well, what did you do? The other two asked. And he said, well, it was easy. I simply baptized and confirmed them, and I haven't seen them since. Oh, how terrible of a joke that is. It does seem that even though the church is supposed to be together, that we are actually better at living our separate lives, dropping in and out every once in a while on one another. Now, this is our final week in our series on the church. Remember, the church is not a building. We may call the building we meet in the church, but really the church is the assembly of the people of God, the followers of Christ. You who are Christians, you are the church. And the church is God's design and God's choice for how to better, for how the believer is to grow in maturity and carry out God's plan. So, we've been reading uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. I'll let you read the whole passage in your own time this week, which gives us a set of three commands that are all shaped by the words, let us, meaning we're going to do this together. And if you want to obey these three commands, you can't just do them yourself. You've got to figure out how to do them with other Christians. So, we are to live as God's people together. So, we are trying to draw near to God together. We are to hold unswervingly to the hope together. And this week, I want to direct you to the final command, 
which is the clearest one as far as doing it together is concerned. So let's read that text now. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And it reads like this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This command is clearly a group project. You have to do it with other people. We are to spur one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to meet together with other humans, other Christians. This cannot be done alone. The goal of this command is for you and for me to live as Christians full of love and good deeds. But there's a problem. A life of love and good deeds does not come natural to the human species. We have the sin nature in us. At our worst, we are cruel, seeking to dominate one another. And at our best, under our own power, we are only able to love people our way and do good as we see it should be done. Most of the world operates today like it's described in the book of Judges. If you go to the last verse of the book of Judges, you get a little description of what Israel was like in that time, and I think it captures our times really well. It reads simply like this in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And today, most people determine the course of their own lives. We are each trapped in a cycle of self-service, personal morality, and, consume, and the consumer attitude of, I want it my way. You and I default back to what seems best to us, what we see to be fit. But that which seems best to us, no matter how well-intentioned it is, is still only amateur love and good deeds. It's not godly love and good deeds yet. But Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that God calls his people to a better way, love and good deeds by God's standard. And we learn how to live out this higher calling by being the church, pushing and encouraging each other to be more and more like Jesus. All three of the commands in Hebrews 10, draw near to God, hold unswervingly to the hope, and to spur one another on, uh, are, are all commands we've got to do together. And the command to spur is the most concrete, the one that, it's the clearest, okay, we got to do this together. And yet it's also the one that I think we need to have the most care and gentleness in carrying out. The command itself has at its core the phrase, not giving up meeting together. And so there's at the center of the command, don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. And then on either side of it, there are calls to actions that we should push and pull each other together. The push action is spurring. And the pole action is encouraging. And for them to work well, they must be balanced and done God's way, not just the way we think is best. So let's take a moment and break the text into a couple of parts and look at each one briefly. Let's begin with that first one, to spur one another on. 
whisperer. This is a word that is most often, it's most often negative in meaning in the Bible. Uh, it means to push away, to run away from something or some, or to run away from someone because you don't like it. That is to say, you can read texts about spurning the advice of a parent or spurning the warnings of a prophet. You don't like what you hear, and so you run away from it. You're pushed away. Here in Hebrews, it is a needed negative force that is designed to push you. That's what the spurning is. But it is to push you towards God. So, we are called to spur one another on. We are to push, to irritate, to prod each other towards God, not away. Sometimes we spur each other and we end up pushing each other away. We're to push just a little bit with irritation towards God and more specifically towards godly love and godly good deeds. Now, the text tells us to spur one another on. That's not permission to be a jerk or to nag at each other. There is no place for a person to be mean or berating to one another in the kingdom. But our condition is such that sometimes we need irritation to produce the good things that God desires for our lives. You can think of a cowboy spur, that piece of metal attached to the boot used to direct a horse to help it keep pace. A spur used correctly will never actually hurt the horse. But a spur can be abused and the horse can be damaged. And there are some in the church that they think spurring is a permission to go after people. No, it's permission to move us on and to direct us closer to God. Unfortunately, many people have soured others in unholy ways, especially in the church. How do we know if the person next to us is trying to spur us on if they actually know what they're doing? Well, it's going to take us being gracious and discerning. You have to ask yourself, is your neighbor spurring you to self uh, to serve their self or spurring you for their own agenda? They might be legalistic. They might be spurring you to what they think is right, but it might not be biblical. And so, you're going to have to be gracious and you have to be discerning. And we grow in discernment by being in God's Word and by learning how to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the easiest we know way we know when spurring is good is that a person that's spurring us, pushing us, irritating us, pushing us towards God, they'll show us Christ in themselves. If they show you anything else than Christ in themselves, beware. For us to grow, to be mature adults with good character and sharp minds, we have to be pushed in school. We have to be pushed in chores at home and pushed in our first jobs. And we have to learn how to do hard things. Fathers, well, and moms, parents, but fathers, it is Father's Day. One of the best lessons you can give your children is to give them moments where they are pushed, spurred, where your children are uncomfortable in the task they're being asked to do so they can discover that they're more resilient than they realize, that they're more capable than they know, that they can understand how strong they really are. My own father has a, a talent for this. Um... He's very willing to give advice. He's willing to put tools in my hands and, and walk me through a task. And then he reaches a moment where he stands back and lets me figure it out. And that's the moment I dislike the most 
Because usually when I start to think, I'm not sure I know how to do this thing I'm being asked to do. I, I remember there was one time by my first flat tire. Um, I was on a date and my car got a flat tire and I didn't know what to do. So I called my dad and he came out with the tools. He said, all right, you got to change it. And there I was standing in front of my date trying to change this flat tire. It was embarrassing. I'm like thinking in my head, why doesn't he just help so we can get this done and I can get out of this embarrassing situation. Uh, He knew better that I had to figure it out on my own. He was letting changing that tire become a lesson of agitation that would cause me to grow. We need that sort of pushing in our lives every once in a while. Think of oysters for a moment, those wonderful creatures of the sea filled with pearls. Oysters make pearls in response to an irritant, such as a grain of sand or some other object that gets inside the shell of a mollusk. Once it gets in and it gets irritated, the creature produces something called nacre, And that nacre uh, coats the object to help reduce the irritation. Nacre is also referred to as mother of pearl. And it's made of microscopic crystals of calcium carbonite. And it also lines the interior of the mollusk's shell. And layers and layers of nacre coat that little grain of sand that's irritating the oyster, eventually forming a pearl. It takes irritation to create that little gem. And it's amazing how irritation can cause such beauty. And spurring one another on in faith, if done in a godly way, should bring about beauty in each other as Christians. Hebrews 10 tells us that the beauty that's to be brought about by that spurring is love and good deeds. That's what we're to push each other towards. Let's talk about those two for a moment. There's, there's love. And it must be said that not just any love or any good, we, good deed will do. It needs to be biblical love and biblical good deeds. Uh, our world rattles around the world, the word love today, but it has no idea what love really means. Most people think love means feeling good about yourself. But we're told something else about love. We're told that Jesus is love. And Jesus defines love for us. Simply put, Jesus shows us that love is sacrificial. If you want to love others biblically, you will be sacrificial towards them, giving them your best so that they can be their best. And Jesus shows us that biblical love is redemptive. 1 Thessalonians says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. You're not meant for wrath, but you're meant for salvation. And Jesus, in love, he died on the cross for your redemption if you would just receive it. And Jesus also showed us that love is restorative. That is, by his love, the power of sin is undone, and we can truly live the way that God has intended us to live. We can go back to what God has designed for us. So, spur one another on to Christ-like love. It's sacrificial, it's redemptive, and it's restorative. But then there's the good deeds side of it, too. And so, what about those good deeds? What do biblical good deeds look like? Well, it's not just doing nice things for others. Here's a perspective to start with if you want to understand biblical good deeds. Uh, 
Um, and if 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 you if you want to know what they'll look like, they'll have some of this in them. They will either be a blessing or they'll be about holy living. And really, they'll be both. Biblical good deeds are going to be a blessing and they're going to be about holy living. So, when you ask yourself, are your deeds good? You need to ask yourself, are my deeds blessing others? And are my actions holy? And how do we know what holiness is? There's a whole lot of ways to talk about it, but we're going to keep it really simple today. Holy living is God-honoring living, as opposed to self-honoring or people-pleasing. Holy living will often contain that word that so many of us do not like, obedience. And it will be God-honoring. So, love and good deeds. We're to push, agitate, irritate to love and good deeds. And then in the middle of that... Uh, Right after we're to push, there's that phrase in Hebrews 10 that we're not to give up meeting together. Between the pushing action of the spurring and the pulling action of the encouraging is the hinge, the focal point, the pivot point that both spurring and encouraging balance on. That's meeting together being the church together. We need the church. And Hebrews warns us that you are not to give up meeting together. You're not to decide, well, I'm no longer a part of the church. We need it. Andrew Murray says this, our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. Mother Teresa says this, I can do things that you cannot, and you can do things that I cannot. And and together we can do great things. And I've said it in previous weeks, and I will say it again. The church is God's design, and it's how he intends that you and I are to grow as Christians. Solo Christianity only takes you so far. You need the church. Thomas Aquinas says this, For in order that man may do well, whether in works or the active active life, or in those of contemplative life, he needs the fellowship of friends. I think we could probably really shorten that phrase for to this. For in order that a man may do well, he needs the fellowship of friends. C.S. Lewis has this. The next, best, uh, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. We need the church. We are the church and we need the church. The problem is there's a poll to stop meeting together. It's all over our culture. If you're not careful, you'll wake up one day and found that you have abandoned the church. Now, I'm not talking about those of you who are uh, ill and need to be home, those of you who are recovering, those of you who are are now less able in life, you're shut in. I'm talking about those who get, get caught up in our culture and we're no longer in the church. You might not even realize it happened. Many of us let the busy life get in the way. Many of us get mad at someone. Many of us get mad at the unholy things that Christians do. And yes, there are certain people in the church who have manipulated or majored in their personal pet issues instead of focusing on the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we get the license to run from the church. Henry Nouwen says this, Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. 
There's always going to be someone you don't get along with, someone you don't like, someone you don't appreciate, someone you don't agree with. That doesn't mean we stop. Life offers so many communities for us to be a part of as well anymore. And when we get involved in them, they're good things. There's clubs and sports teams and hobby groups and even our workplaces. But none of them are a substitute for the church. We need the church. We need to gather together now more than ever. Watchman Nee says this, and I think he begins to get us to see just a little bit more of why we get together as the church. Watchman Nee says this, fellowship means, among other things, that we are ready to receive of Christ from others. Other believers minister Christ to me, and I am ready to receive. There is an exchange of Christ between believers. And that brings me to the final part of the command in our text today. We talked about spurring one another on. We, spoke, we talked about love and, and good deeds. We talked about the need to continue meeting together. And then there's that phrase, encourage one another. People are desperate for encouragement. Our world is very good at telling people what they're doing wrong. Turn on any news program, open up any social media, uh, talk, uh, have listened to any group of people talking about our times. There's all kinds of people talking about what's wrong, what people are doing wrong. And there are appropriate times to speak truth into a person's life about stopping a behavior that's destructive. But we are in desperate need of real encouragement. Not just positive thinking. Not just personal affirmation. We need biblical affirmation. We need to hear encouragement about the power and the promise of God. And one of the best encouragements one can, one Christian can give another is to show them Christ in themselves and that we are called to be Christ-like. And so, I want to read these words to you from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. And he writes this, God works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. People are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other people. Usually it is those who know him that bring him to others. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. It is so easy to think that the church has a lot of, is a lot of different objects, education, buildings, missions, holding services. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the missions and sermons, and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. But to draw men to Christ. To make us little Christs. So, how do you best spur and encourage each other in faith? And why do we meet together? We meet together to be mirrors of Christ to one another so that the person sitting next to us can get a better picture of what Christ should look like in the life of a believer and so that I can look over at them and see in them what Christ should look like in the life of a believer. I need you and you need me so that we can see Christ in one another. We need the church. Let us pray.
Lord, thank you for inviting each one of us who follow Jesus to be your church. Give us wisdom to balance spurring and encouraging so that each of us would mirror Jesus in our lives. Lord, our age is a busy one. Help us to resolve our help us to resolve to continue to meet together as your people, to be the church together, to show Christ to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.